Tom Bernard Show with Kermit Appeal, Brandon Simon, Melissa Kirk, Andy Brand Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. And JB's wandering around somewhere. Getting snacks. Yeah. Getting snacks. (laughs) Snacks. We'll be right back with Kermit. I love Kermit. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Doug Sprinthal, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Tell us about this warranty for life thing. I, you know, you, know, you understand a lot more about this than I do. Well, of course. I know you're not an automotive mechanic. So let me tell you a cool story. This just happened a couple of days ago. I got an email. Somebody emailed me at Doug at Walzer.com, and he goes, Hey, I bought a 2005, and I think it was a Honda Accord, back in 2014, having some problems with the engine. Uh, do I have any coverage? So... I called the Honda store, we looked it up, and sure enough, the card qualified for a lifetime powertrain warranty. So it had to be under 60,000 miles at the time of purchase, a uh, non-highline vehicle. And they covered the engine repair. Think about what that means. That's a 13-year-old car, and the guy got his engine replaced. It doesn't cover every single thing on the car, but all the, it's like major medical coverage. So the engine goes bad, transmission, four-wheel drive system. You're covered as long as you own the car, as long as you maintain it to factory standards. It's pretty cool. It actually is really cool. Well, I mean, it's a lot cooler than you or me. Well, it is really cool, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, 15-year-old car. And that's why I buy all my cars, and my family buys all their cars from Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com, because of warranty for life. And you like working with me, too, right, Tommy? Tommy? Tom? I, I don't think he's there. <laughs> That's really nice. Very professionally <laughs> delivered from Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. What is this all about? <laughs> she would have to explain that. This in a classic rock mood today. Mm. I've never heard any classic rock. I know. Oh, that's right. I work with <laughs> Never mind. I've heard tons of it. Kermit, how well, are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. 
Well, it's always a pleasure to have you here. It's a great pleasure to have you on. Look, I uh, things were kind of shaky. I thought, do I like Kermit? Do I not like Kermit? <laughs> I think I like him, but I'm not sure. Oh, you know what? He was dishwasher of the month at SeaTac Airport, Denny. So he's my kind of guy. Oh, there you go. That's one of the great achievements of my career. Yeah, it is. It actually was. It, <laughs> there was there, there's a very uh, uh, life, life really throws you uh, punches right after you get out of college. I was going to work for United Airlines. And I moved down to the airport without a car, or in the airport area. And they, mm-hmm. they, um, they, de- they decided they weren't going to bring on the new hires because there was a threat of a strike. So I literally had oh, moved yeah. down to the airport without a car and had no job. And walking back from that meeting, I walked into a Denny's and said, you guys hiring? And he goes, it's Denny's. We're always hiring. <laughs> <laughs> That's some turnover. So, so that, at that moment, I went, I went from leaving, you know, uh, getting out of college and saying, I want to take over the world to, can I wash dishes at this place? And that's, that's what I did. I'm right there with you, pal. Honest to God, we, we joke around it quite often. But I, I started my career on the radio at 18 years old. And then about, uh, oh, I don't know, six years later, no one would hire me. So I think I upset a few people. So I, uh, I actually went to work at uh, as tying iron. I did a little construction work. And then I uh, took a job with Capitol Records and was kind of the biggest break of my life because I learned how to do business. And life's been grand ever since. But, yeah, I mean, it was one of those deals. I said, yeah, I uh, no one would hire me. I pissed off everybody. I know it's hard to believe, but I upset everybody. <laughs> really hard to believe. But, you know, uh, I suppose it's not the best idea when you're 18, 19 years old and you're on the air and the general manager doesn't like what you're doing. They come in and go, you know, I don't like that. And I go, get out of here or I will kill you. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. Probably not a good thing to be telling the general manager. I, I hear that that's frowned upon in the industry. <laughs> I hear it's frowned upon. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, God, it's great to talk to you again. I, Kermit, honestly, you got to get back here more. If you, seriously, you got to come through more often. I appreciate that. I, I love coming here. It really is one of my favorite clubs in the country and, and a great town. And don't lie to me. You were born and raised in Honolulu. This weather sucks for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but it, I'm not I'm not living here. That's that's the thing. It, it's it's no, that's uh, true. you know it's, it's a fun novelty. You know mm-hmm. when it gets down to single digits like today, it's it's fun as a Hawaiian because you get to step outside and see dead relatives. It's not something you're used to. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Actually. Yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, God, we. All of the, you know, every time you've talked in the past, all over all these different things and and how life got you was your now you said your father you've talked about this before your father uh, was not a big laugher he would smile once in a while I was a cop right or yes. he was a cop yes my dad was in law enforcement his whole life phenomenal so he didn't have the greatest he'd had a great sense of humor but he wouldn't show it um, I I yes I I do think he had a sense of humor but it just wasn't. You just didn't do that when you were the, the macho. He was he was a Golden Glove boxer before he be, you know joined the military oh, and became yeah. a cop. So he's he's that guy. He's he's the we look alike, but it's, we're not the same person. And yeah, so mm-hmm. and where I I, used, I love to laugh and and constantly talk, and that just wasn't his deal, man. So I have a question for you because you know you and I have talked about these things like you know Akupapuli and, yeah. and all these different things but there's one other connection I thought of from yesterday when we were talking on the KQ Morning Show yesterday so I got to run this by Kermit because you were talking about on the KQ Morning Show yesterday about how your father was very was stoic he would smile but never really laugh or anything like that and uh, I remember when I was a little kid the only connection I had to my father and I mean the only 
well, the physical connection, we had the, the boxing matches, which I always lost because I was only seven. But, you know, we had those. But the other thing was uh, my whole relationship with my father was trying to make him laugh. That's very true. I, I would stand wow. in front of the TV and do stand-up when I was like seven, eight years old, and he would laugh. And that was my connection to my father. You know, so the same kind of stoic wow. deal, I guess. I guess, but of course, my dad was nuts, so that might have been the other problem. <laughs> I had. Well, but at least for me, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. I mean, my dad. My dad would not laugh. I mean, he really. Yeah, yeah. One of his one of his favorite <laughs> shows was Barney Miller, and the mm-hmm. only the only Love reason it. I knew he loved that show was because he said it was funny. He never smiled throughout the whole show. He'd watch the whole half hour <laughs> and never smiled. But then he would say, "Oh, that was, that was funny." Um, the first time he saw me was luckily a really great show in a, in a small theater. I don't, I'd only been doing it a couple of years, and he and my mom were in town in Seattle, and they came to watch a show. And it, it was a really fun show with a lot of people. And, and after the show, um, my dad goes, oh, uh, it's good that you don't swear. That's good. And then that was it. That was like his whole, <laughs> not that you were funny or anything, but that I didn't swear. Uh, which, by the way, really funny because my dad is a poetic swearer when I was growing up. I mean, we're talking about, like, beautiful. Uh, his rants were these, like, gorgeous haiku that were just connected together. And, and all of a sudden, he's so glad his son doesn't doesn't swear on stage. Well, see, so he, he raised you right. Does that, was he taking credit for raising you properly? I think, you know what? I think that's exactly right. I think, I think whether yeah, I'm funny or yeah. not, that's irrelevant. At least I'm, I'm being proper. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, in a way, that that drove you into comedy? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. My, see, you actually got to make your father laugh. To me, the audience is me still trying to make him. You know what I mean? Like, and, and yep, and I, I know, understand. I know, I know. Yep. We're getting into some real therapy type stuff at this point, but no, it's true. Though. But it really is a, a lot of my, um, uh, you know, comics. There, okay, there are a handful of us who are are just really together people who happen to have great views of the world but the vast majority of us have this huge void that yep. you know because it takes it takes a lot of need to want want approval every 10 to 15 seconds right there's no there's no yep. entertainment yep. form that requires that an actor can wait till the end of the play to find out how he or she did a musician can wait till the end of a song we need it now and now and now like if, <laughs> and if you don't laugh at this one oh my god i suck <laughs> you know what i mean right? and, and so and so yep. yes so I, and I'll, I'll freely admit that a lot of a lot of what the audience is to me is that need for approval is is to try and make my dad uh, approve and enjoy and laugh at what i do it was so amazing to hear you just say it because I, I think so often now that that's what I did. I, I tried to make him laugh, and then I, I decided, hey, you know, I want to get into radio because people, you know, be smart asses on there and whatever. But as you go along in life, all of a sudden social media came along. So I had heard for basically about 30 years of my career, oh, man, I love your show, it's, you know, because there was no social media. And I didn't realize all of a sudden when social media came along how badly I sucked. <laughs> I didn't even realize it until all these people with fake names were telling me how much I sucked at what I did. So it's like, wait a minute, I have to adjust to this now. This can't be good. Well, but the good thing is and you if, had you had years under your belt before that that yes. sort of aspect came. So you, you at least had the, yep. the the cement footing to kind of stand on, you know. Yeah, no, you absolutely. I don't know how to tell you the truth. That's, that's something I've never thought of. A comedian, man or woman, doesn't matter. Starting out now, 
you got to put up with that immediately. When, when you start being a comedian, you have to put up with the fact that apparently you suck by uh, <laughs> Weeble Wobble 16, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be hard, I would think. Yes. Because yeah. you would tend to believe it, wouldn't you? Yeah, and, and really, in, in, in comedy, and this is the, one of the luxuries of starting before the kind of the internet thing, is that in yep. comedy, you don't want anybody to see your first two years. You really don't. And, and, no, and you certainly right, don't want right. the audience who do see you to remember your name. <laughs> I suppose that is true. Yes. Yeah, and so so now it. someone can see you. It's maybe you're you know you've been at it for three months. You still don't know the mechanics of the form. You're still trying no. to learn it. And someone's going to go grab their phone and go, "That guy sucked." Well, yeah, it's only three months. <laughs> it is. The, yeah. I, well, that's exactly right. Some some people say it's like like anything else. It's like ten thousand hours. Yeah. You try to get ten thousand hours on stage. That takes a long time. Yeah. Your first your first year of sets are three to five minutes. So it's going to take a while. Yep. You know. <laughs> it is. It's going to take a while. That. But there's still that need. At least I have it, uh, Kermit. I, I, I'm thinking you probably do too. But I still, after all these years, still have that need to make people laugh, and it's all based on my relationship with my. The only relationship I had with him is making him laugh. Wow. That was it. Wow. So it's very, you know, it was a gift in one way, and another way <laughs> he was a pain in the ass. But anyway, <laughs> you know, that's just how it is. Uh, you know, but but yeah, I I still have that when I when I start the show in the morning after all these years, I still go, I wonder if people will like this, and you think that every day. You know, it, and I don't know if that's healthy or not, but I do. I, I, wonder if, I, wonder I agree. Like I, I don't know if it's healthy, but I think it's prevalent in comedy as well. I think there's that moment right before. I mean, I've got I've got, you know, 27 years of experience at this. But I think there's that moment right before they say your name where you kind of wonder, is this the audience that's going to see that the whole thing's a fraud? Is, is this the audience <laughs> yeah. that's going to figure it yeah. out? You know, and then you go out there and, and whatever experience you have and abilities, you, you, you do what you can. But there is a moment, man, where, where you – but it's but it's that desire. It's that desire to, to say, what if I can make them laugh? And so you go out there and try it, you know. And, 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 and comedy – I don't know if radio is the same way, but comedy is one of those things where it, it really is you feel only as good as your last set. And, and, and even after doing it for oh, yeah. 27 years, I still feel like yep. if I have a bad set, that's the next 23 hours of my brain. That's all yeah. I can think about. Yeah, it is. That's 100% true, and that's exactly how it is in, in you know, trying to do a, a morning show in, in radio as well. It's like, because people like to tell you that, by the way, and, and mostly the people who work with you at the radio station like to tell you, you know, it's not going to last forever. It's like, well, it's been 34 years, and, you know, well, yeah, I know, but one of these days, it's like, well, I suppose you're right. One of these days, it's probably true. We'll just that's, hit the wall, and that'll be that. That's probably not people who really like you or really your friends because i can't remember ever telling you this isn't going to last no 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 you never did that you never did that well but, he told uh, me that before we went on the air <laughs> <laughs> did he tell you about about me or about you or both of us oh, maybe. good point i don't know who he was talking to he's talking to you and me at the same time I, you know you guys you guys are not going to pull this off it's not going to happen but, Listening to you two guys talk about your relationship with your father, and you mm-hmm. tried to make oh, the, yeah. make them laugh. Them laugh. For me, it was um, basically being his apprentice because my dad fixed everything around the house, and so I was always with him as he was either fixing or building something. Mm-hmm. So I mean, to this day, I guess I get want people approval by when i do a project at work and then i stand back and it's like okay what do you people think wow you know do you like it do you not like it you know you 
and I'm constantly, as you guys say that, I'm now thinking about it. I'm constantly doing that. You know, I can, I can yeah, put, oh yeah, I can put together 25 softball helmets and decal them up, and then I show the, you know, I then I start taking it around showing first the coach and then other people. What do you think? How's it? What? And this, that, and the other, looking for their approval. Where I should be like, yeah, I got that finished, so big deal. But you know, one of the great things about life, though, is there's a prime example. Jimmy Pearsall, a great baseball player, had uh, severe <clears throat> emotional problems and mental problems, and I'll never forget him talking. He, well, he had him on the show several times. He would tell you whatever he felt like telling you if you didn't like a tough hop. He was a very nice guy, but you got the truth from Jimmy Pearsall, man. I'll tell you that. Great guest to have on. But there's that wonderful scene in Fear Strikes Out, the story of you know Jimmy Pearsall's baseball life, and Carl Malden's playing his dad, and it's a true story, I guess. Uh, you know, here you go, JB, Kermit, me, everybody else there, try to deal with this. As a rookie, Jimmy Pearsall, I believe, led the league in batting average. Oh, excuse me, in, in home runs and RBIs, but not in batting average. Mm-hmm. So he almost won the triple crown as a rookie. Right. And he came home and he said, Dad, Dad, it's the greatest. I'm playing with the Boston Red Sox, man. I'm so excited and so happy. And, I, I, you know, I had the best uh, – I hit the most home runs. I drove in the most runs. I almost uh, had the highest batting average. And his father totally seriously said, well, it's not your best effort. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can you even imagine that? As wow. a rookie, you take two out of three. Ah, not good enough. Sorry. Not good enough. Well, if you've never seen the movie Fear Strikes Out, you got to see it. It's wow. It's that relationship with dad thing. Man, that that hits you right between the eyes when you watch that movie because it's like, oh, I guess it could be a lot worse than I had it. <laughs> I guess it could be much worse. And, and you know, and, and the thing life gives life gives you kind of perspective on that because uh, for a long time I thought it was kind of the same thing. I thought my there was like not this approval, but what I realized as as I got older is that my dad just doesn't like to talk, so he didn't. Yeah, you know, yep. I mean, I, I could literally call him with that, like, you know, Dad, I just got my own sitcom. Oh, um, good, good. Here's your mom. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and for a long time, I thought that was, oh, he doesn't approve, and and, and I started to realize, nah, yep. he just it just yep. for him, it just, you know, he wants me to do better, but and he's happy with with what I'm accomplishing at each at each point, but he just doesn't really feel like talking about it, and and, and, and it no, made me maybe yeah. kind of mellow out a little bit about that. And the other part no. of it is is his uncomfortable. Him being uncomfortable to yeah, say that he's proud of you or whatever. Yes. There's, there's some level of his uncomfortableness that he's mm-hmm. dealing with at that yeah. point. Yeah. We shall be right back. Just a quick break. Right back more with Kermit Apio. He is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night. And he's in studio now. Right back with Kermit. Right after this, Tom Bernard show. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. 
It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. We're back. Kermit Appio with us, ladies and gentlemen, in studio. He is at Acme tonight and tomorrow night. I love this, by the way. Um, so your father was proud of you, Kermit. You could, could you tell that he was proud of you, or did he kind of keep that close to the vest as well? Uh, later in life, which was amazing, because he, he uh, you know, towards, uh, towards the end, he sort of said some things that I just, I couldn't believe. Yeah, so it was, it was really great. I, and, and, that, and that's one of those things where you... Uh, as you get older, you kind of have to look at it as, as you know, maybe he had some feelings, just didn't know how to express it. You know, like JB said, just didn't know how to say it, didn't, uncomfortable with that, yep. with that kind of yep. thing. And, and once I came to that realization, uh, life got a lot easier, you know, because I think when you're young, it's, they're everything, man. Your parents, they've, they've formed who you are. And, and, and so you look mm-hmm. at them, these sort of, these sort of huge pillars in your life and, and uh, and as I started, you know, I became a dad and, 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 you know, had this career in comedy, something my dad would never have gone into, right? I didn't go in. My, I have ha- half-brothers. Four out of the five of them went into law enforcement. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two of my brothers were cops. Uh, one was uh, worked at the Oahu prison for 30-something years. And, uh, yeah, they're all older than me. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so here I go into telling jokes in bars. Like, I couldn't have done something more different than my father. <laughs> um, and, and I think I think from that standpoint, at that point when I when I made these choices, he kind of didn't know what to make of me, right? And 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 uh, and I was able to sort of look at it as, oh, you know, he he approves of me, he, he's proud of me, and 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 everything. And then really, I'm, we're talking about weeks before he died, he said some really nice things about me as a father and as a comic, which oh. I could not believe. And so I think he kind of knew what was, you know, at that he was nearing the end uh, and, and, and sort of wanted to get these things out because it was, and I know it was hard for him and it wasn't long. It wasn't like a speech. It was like, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, you're, you're good dad. I love your kids. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's fun watching you and I see on TV and, you know, and your, and your mom shows me clips and, you know, it, it was really these kind of like little bits of, mm-hmm. and I, and I couldn't believe it, man. I, I, I didn't know what to say. Aren't you really happy that happened though? God, it's got to be great. Absolutely, absolutely. So many people do not get that, right? And no, and, they don't. Yeah, and, and 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 you try and give it to yourself. You try and say to yourself, you know, uh, get through the realities of everything. But when 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 
when you actually get it from that person, it's it's pretty amazing, man. I I, I do consider myself lucky. Well, I wouldn't know. You know. What I'm <laughs> Very quickly, I won't tell the whole story, but I hadn't seen my father in 17 years. I get a call one night from the hospital. He, he had been living in California. I didn't even know he was in Minnesota. And I hadn't seen him in like 17 years. I get a call one night. Your father is dying. He's in the hospital. And he wants to see you. And I said, no, he doesn't want to see me. I, I, he got along with everybody else in the family a lot better than me. My four brothers, my two sisters. He goes, no, he wants to see you specifically. And the whole way up there, I was thinking, God, he's going to tell me he loves me, or he's going to tell me he's sorry, or he's going to say, you know, he wishes out of one about half the uh, fist fights we got in. You know, that kind of thing. But um, I got there, and I did remember on the way up there, when I was 16, he came back for about two months after being institutionalized, and he would go and get in, in bar fights along Plymouth Avenue in North Minneapolis, and I would go over there, because I've always been a, much bigger than anybody else in my family, so I'd go over there and... I never had to fight anybody, but I would cajole them and say, hey, you know, come on, just leave him alone. He's, he just got out and, you know, whatever. And my father was a very small guy. He was about 5'5 five, five and weighed about 130 pounds. He was not a very big guy at all. So looking back all those years, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering, God, I wonder if he's going to bring that up or what this is all about. He couldn't talk because he was dying of emphysema, had all these tubes down his throat, so he wrote it out on a chalkboard, and the chalkboard collapsed. It took like a half an hour for him to write this out. And and the chalkboard collapses on his chest, and I, I'm going to reach down and turn it over and see what he wrote. And I was thinking, man, oh, this is going to be huge. This is going to be a very big deal. It's going to be life-changing. And I turned it around, and it said, get me out of here. Wow. <laughs> I'll never forget wow. that. And I said, Papa, I can't do it. I can't get you out of this one, man. But it was like a bar thing. I got a model, all those bar fights and those bar arguments, and he thought I could do it again. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is, wow, that's amazing. Man, so when we okay, I'll tell you one story about when uh, my dad turned Love eighty. It. My dad, uh, my dad was. I didn't realize till I left how well known my dad was in Hawaii. You know, uh, uh, sure. And I, I remember, you know, he, on the on the way to school, we'd stop and, and have breakfast in place, and, and the governor would pick up our tabs. I, I knew that he knew people, you know. But so my mom decided to make a big party for when he was eighty, and and uh, and a lot of Hawaii people came. You know, a couple of Hawaii celebrities came and entertained for free, and it was a really great party. So I hosted it, and uh, we were doing some speeches. And the the now uh, deputy chief of police gave a, gave a speech, and he said, "You know, when I was a rookie, um, I was told my partner told me uh, don't talk to essentially my dad. You know, don't don't talk to him till he talks to you. He'll talk to you when when it's time." And and uh, and and he talked about how a lot of the younger cops had a lot of respect, but were really afraid of my dad. And his partner said, "If you're walking down a hallway and you see sergeant standing in the hallway, you you find another way to get where you're going." Right, and there's all this stuff, and I'm, and I'm listening to this going, wow, this <laughs> yeah. is amazing. So after his speech, I said, thank you, uh, Deputy Chief. Uh, by the way, uh, you know that thing you said about the hallway? Same thing at home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the whole place went nuts, right? Just started yeah. cracking yeah. up. And I actually looked over and saw my dad smile. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that's as much as I'm going to get, but it was, but it was great. And... Um, and you know, afterwards, my, my dad was. He said, he said, "Oh, you did a really good job hosting." And and you know, it's kind of that's what I do. I do a lot of corporate event hosting and everything, so I was really comfortable. I, I made jokes yeah, through the thing, sure. but um, but that but when he was when, when when I did that line, man, the whole place just went nuts because they all know my dad. They all they all know that the, the right. character of him. You know, real tough guy and and everything. And I actually got my dad to smile on that one. So um, no. did anybody sing Tiny Bubbles? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> In the wild. 
No one in Hawaii sings Did that you? song. I don't know if you know that. No, I know. No one does. No one. That's right. Nobody because sings that song. <laughs> Don Ho. Don Ho. That that name, by the way, did not go over big in my neighborhood when I was a kid. Why is that? Man, that guy's name is Ho. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don Ho. It's like, what? That's his name. That's just how it is. Did you know your father's parents? No. No. They did passed you know away before. No, they passed yeah, away before I was born. I kind of... I got a feel. That's why I asked you because I got a feeling. That I bet you didn't know your father's parents. So yeah. That was a side of him that you couldn't get from them. Yes. Yes. You, that's that's tough, man. If you don't get if you don't get his parents' take, your grandparents' take on it, that does make it harder. There's no doubt about that. Is, uh, same cool thing with you. Did you have the same situation? Uh, my two grandfathers were two of the worst human beings I've ever met in my oh. entire life. My mother's father and my father's father. What a couple of jackasses. Oh. Ugh. My mother's father, though, he's about five foot four, probably weighed about a buck twenty. He had this lateral deal. He had this going, right? <laughs> and he, he would always tell me, and I'll never forget this, on my 16th birthday, he came over to the house. He's just a, just a prick. Oh, God, he's a bad guy. But he came over, and I wore, I'm having a birthday party, and I said, you know, I don't know, what do you think, Grandpa? I'm getting to be a pretty big kid now. I'm 16 years old. And he goes... No, what do you think? You're a tough guy. I'll dance on your grave. Oh, I'm like, man. oh, happy birthday, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday to you. You wow. know what I love about that, though, is when you have an edge in life, if, whether you're funny or you got that crabby deal, you got an edge, it came from somewhere. It didn't just appear. You Absolutely. know what I mean? I love that about That's why I love talking to people about how you became who you are. I love hearing how you became who you are. That's it. It's what life's all about to me. I agree. Love I it. agree. So that's very cool that your father, he was he was there, and he, he did love you. Yep. Didn't probably tell you all that often. No, that he loved you, but he no, did. no. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so did a lot of people at the end of the birthday party come up and tell you stories that you had, would conceive were that your dad would even do like at my dad's funeral afterwards i had guys i grew up with who said yeah your dad pulled me to the side one day and basically threatened to kick the crap out of me unless, wow. I, unless I straighten up my life and i was like huh wow because <laughs> they never told me and my dad would never say right, a word right mm-hmm. But and I didn't even think my dad knew enough of my friends to even pull him aside and say, "Hey, I, I'm hearing this and I'm hearing that." But he would yeah, pull him aside yeah. and say, "Hey, straighten up, or I'll come find you." <laughs> wow, my, my, and uh, I do that to uh, JB now. Yeah. <laughs> my dad. Um, okay, I will tell you a story. My uh, I did a big fundraiser show uh, in Hawaii one time, and the former governor was there. And I got to meet him afterwards, and I and and I I said uh, I, I said really nice to meet you. And he said, Hey, I heard something, because uh, my my father and I have different names. Because when I was born, my parents weren't married yet, so I, I have my mom's uh, maiden name. But my my father's name is oh, okay. yeah, my father's name is Boyd Andrade. So um, he said he said I understand. Is Boyd Andrade your dad? I said, Yeah, yeah, that's my father. And he goes, He told me a story that when he was a teenager, he kind of, kind of hung out with the wrong crowd, and my dad and his partner would kind of drive by and kind of. You know, bug them, tell them to go home and disperse whenever. And, right, right. And there was this, um, and and he's a teenager at this point. He he, there was this uh, a raid on a, like a gambling, like a warehouse that was being used to uh, do casino stuff and gambling. There was a raid, and he was at that because he kind of hung out with that crowd, so he was at that thing. So the raid comes in. My dad sees uh, this guy, chases him, catches him, pushes up against the wall. <laughs> 
and and literally put his put his forearm in his throat and said, "If I ever see you again, you're going to regret it. If I ever see you with these people again, that's what he said. You're going to regret it." And and here I am talking to the guy who became the governor of Hawaii, and he's saying your dad <laughs> was a big part. And uh, I was like, "What? That, you know, this is." Like, like you said, That's my wonderful. dad would never tell me right. that story. He no. told me that. He said, he said, so someone told me that your dad was Boyd, and I just want to tell you, uh, your, dad, your dad was a great man. You know? And, and uh, it was, it was mind-blowing. And I, and, I, and I told my I told my mom that, and I go, did you know that? She goes, she goes, I, you know, I think someone might have told me something. I'm like, really, you kind of don't remember hearing about the governor's life changing, you know, yeah. <laughs> because of dad. That's right. How many That's of these stories are out there that you don't remember this one? You yeah. know, I had so many friends who were in single parented households, and my somehow my dad must have known that, and he would. Those were the type of kids he would gravitate, even though he was raised with his parents and whatnot. Kids he would gravitate to that were our friends that he would hear something. And he's like, well, that person's hanging with my child, and I'm not going to allow that to happen because I'm not going to allow them to drag my child down either. Right. So he would literally walk up to him and say, come here. And then after, I had four guys pull me to the side and say, hey. Your dad pulled me to the side once and told me he heard this and that. If I kept doing it, I wouldn't be walking at the house. And our house was the neighboring house. Mm. And so it meant more to them to be able to come back to the house and hang out with our family yeah. than it did to be caught up in whatever mess they were caught up in. So he's like, yeah, you won't be welcome here. And if you continue, I'll probably put my foot up and you, you know what, too. <laughs> so it's like... But not mm, probably not going to be all that comfortable. No. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know. know. I, I see. I, I love hearing these stories. I mean, you grew up in St. Louis. I mean, Kermit grew up in, in Hawaii. I love hearing stories of people who grew up in different areas and their their relationship. Now, I, what JB's trying to trying to duck here, Kermit, and I got to tell you, is JB always had a musical warning when his dad was about to whip his ass. <laughs> he always got a, a song first. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of ducking that subject right now, aren't you, Jay? Yeah, it was Disco Inferno. Really? Yeah. <laughs> By the Tramps. Really? So you get would he, would he play it or sing it? No, he would play it. So you just hear "Burn, Baby, Burn" and run. Yeah. <laughs> we would. Uh, he would come home. Phenomenal. And, and we would kind of tell he had a bad day at work. And then he would go in the bathroom and pray. And He'd pray. He would pray. And then Disco Inferno Catholic, would. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't Catholic at the time. He was. Oh, I thought he was. I thought remember, he was. his father was a Baptist minister. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So he would pray, have a shot of Canadian Mist, put on Disco Inferno, and it's like, boy, look at the time. I think it's time for me to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> time to go, man. Boy, look at the time. Uh, it's a great story. That's it's great. a wonderful story. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I should mention also, Kermit, that other than Catholic priests, I'm the only white man that uh, JB's mother ever liked. <laughs> so it all worked out in the end. Don't deny it now, JB. I can hear that. You stretched that He's story so long. You're unbelievable. You're the one who told me the story. I loved B, though. B, B had great hats, man. Your mother oh. had great hats. No, well, you wouldn't know that unless I showed you the photos. No, I, I met her. Yeah, I was like wearing you, a hat. 
Yeah, she did have a hat on. Of course that, I that, did. That, What's that, wrong with you, man? That dinner. <laughs> the you know, dinner was you know, we, wonderful. We went to Jack's Cafe. Yep. Yep, I do remember. Hey, look, here's the deal. I just like talking to people about how they got where they are, why they got where they are, and the family's always a huge part. It's always a huge part of it. It's really, really cool. Take a very quick break. Be right back. More with Kermit and JB and everybody else in studio right after this. Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers, come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call our fleet reps right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Oh, <laughs> run, JB, run! <laughs> you like you couldn't see that. Oh man, yeah, a mile away. Are you getting a flashback, JB? Yeah, it's getting I'm, very agitated. I've gone, gone through therapy. I'm good now. I love. It. Oh, you went through therapy. That you went through disco and inferno disco therapy. Well, and plus he, um, you know, he had the near, near death experience, and that's when he became mm. Catholic. And then, oh, okay. And, um, you know, toward the end of his life, he kind of made amends for all that crap, too. I mean, he, he really did. He enjoyed his grandchildren a lot. And mm-hmm. he also, he, would bra- he wouldn't do it in front of us, but, like, he would do it, like, when he was in hospice. He, the guy that took care of him, he found out was uh, a friend of mine and my younger sister because we went to high school with him and he bragged about the two of us to to that guy wow he would never do it in front of us no 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 no. but then when i um after the funeral kenneth was one of the guys who came he said yeah your dad just talked about how proud he is of what you're doing and this that and the other so this is the same man who would always swear at me about chasing balls because I'm, I'm an athletic equipment manager at the university of minnesota and he right. would always complain right. about chasing those balls ain't going to get you anywhere but then he, he you know he he saw where it got me you know it got me a college degree and all these other things and and he you know the the line he would use, my children have taken me places I never thought I'd ever go. Wow. And it was all misery. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
one of the things I love about these conversations, you're talking about an African-American guy from St. Louis, a Hawaiian from Honolulu, a honky from Minneapolis, <laughs> uh, all these different cultures, and yet we have very, very similar stories. Do you think that the average person will ever understand we are all the same and they need to get off this, this whole train of dr- trying to drive us together, drive us apart? You've got to do it my way. It's like, would you just leave people alone? People are fine. Yeah. And that's why I like to talk about this so much. All these different cultures, three different cultures we're talking here, and yet we all have the same experience, pretty much. Well, that's, then that's to me, going back to, to the comedy part of my life, that's one mm-hmm. thing that comedy has absolutely taught me. Because if you grow up on an island, one of the most isolated places on the planet, and you tell these stories about growing up or um, you know, having, a, having a, a, a name like a frog and getting teased in school, and you, mm-hmm. and, 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 and you see oh, people yeah. who are yeah. from all these different walks of life, different races, different places. They're thousands of miles away from where I grew up. And yet they laugh and relate and nod. Yeah, comedy teaches you, like, we have these threads that make us way more similar than we are different. So it's part of being human. Well, I wish everybody would understand that. This whole idea now that... That uh, that we're going to force people into diversity. We don't. You don't have to force anybody into diversity. Let's leave people alone. They'll be fine. Look, people were treated like dirt over the years. There's no doubt about that, and it needs it, it needs to still improve. It really does. No doubt about that. But you know, Kermit, you and I, I think I believe talked about this the last time I saw you a couple of years ago. But my wife finally agreed to watch the great movie uh, Once We're Warriors about a Maori yeah. family. Yeah. Uh, Maori, the Maori family. Uh, it, it is one of the greatest movies of all time. But my wife was traumatized yeah. for a week <laughs> after that. Yeah, I will never. I'll never watch that movie again. I, man, it. it oh God, the, the kind of crying I did watching that movie hurts. Yep. No, I see. That's exactly. I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. Because that was it. And I wish everybody out there, particularly like uh, you know upper middle class white people who've never been in, a, in their inner city in their lives, but they're experts on on race relations and all the rest of it. I just love those people. Yeah, I know how to do it. <laughs> nah, you, you really don't. But that's a perfect example. Here is a man, uh, a proud Maori warrior. Yeah. Uh, from the day, you know, the descendant of warriors, and here he is. He cannot function in that society, in right. the modern day society. He could not function properly. He did not feel like a real man. Uh, he he would he he admits at the very beginning of the movie that he made, I believe, like a dollar an hour more than people on the dole. That even though when he was working, it really wasn't worth anything because he could make the same amount of money just sitting around on the dole. Right. And he's a very strong, big, and tough guy, but he could not be a warrior anymore, and it drove him crazy. Drove his family apart, broke yep. his family up. Yep. There's a scene in this movie, and Catherine, oh, my God, she yelled at me for about an hour, <laughs> where he beats up his wife physically. Yeah. Oh, man, is that a scene. That is, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's one of those reasons I could never watch a movie again. It, it, it just really was tough to watch. But, but like you said, amazing message in that movie. I, the, the message in that movie is unbelievable. Wonderful. Yeah. Then, then again, I should say that I cry just about any movie with daddy issues. I want to point that out. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. That Big Fish movie with Ewan McGregor, I think oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I bawled yeah. at that movie. And it literally is a little fairy tale about a guy that tells stories. And I'm just like, oh, my God, his dad. They, they talk at the end. So that's a disclaimer I should put on there. I, uh... But that's what we're talking about. I love that about you, Kermit. And that's why I've always liked you. Because you, I've been talking quite about because of this 
this toxic masculinity thing that, that we've been talking about, which yeah. God bless them. They talk about whatever they want. But my argument always is, uh, like you, like JB, you know, Andy, uh, a really, a truly masculine man does not do things like harm other people physically or force themselves on women. A truly masculine man doesn't do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. They'll point it out or tell people to back off, but they won't. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I, and I just think that's uh, that's why I love having this conversation because it's you know we all grew up pretty much uh, you know. I guess daddy issues in one way or another. Uh, some people were because Kermit, you were not. Your family was not poor. They were, you know, your father made a nice living as a copper. I'm assuming. Yeah, we we were we were kind of you know uh, middle class. You know, right right down the middle. Yeah. You know. Yep. But I, I just three people sitting here talking about the the way they grew up, and it's eerily similar. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you watch. Look, I, I'll tell you honestly, it's not not to the extent of, of, you know, once we're warriors, but I remember when I finally, you know, ventured outside my neighborhood, I had a bitch of a time understanding what Minnesotans were even saying because <laughs> I had never heard that accent in my own right. neighborhood. Right. Nobody had that accent in my neighborhood when I was a kid. So I get out of my own neighborhood. I'm downtown. It's like, oh, yeah, you know. I'm like, what? What the hell are these people doing? I could not even understand what the hell they were saying. What the hell are you talking about? I heard a song. So it's kind of cool. I heard a song this morning at about uh, 525, 530. Mm-hmm. And it was Her- Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Wake up, everybody. And you listen to the lyrics. And we still have those same issues that they were. Yep, that's true. Uh, singing about in back in the late seventies, you know, politicians ripping us off. Uh, yep. Uh, people that were supposed to teach us aren't teaching us. People who should be protecting us aren't protecting us. Preachers who are, you know, aren't. We still have those same, and even probably to a worse level. Than back then, we still yeah, had maybe. those problems. Yeah, maybe true. Yeah, that's maybe true. But but again, once people, once again, I I just love people who have never been involved in a culture, but they're experts on that culture. It's like, what? Yeah. Why don't you shut up and listen to people who are from that culture, and maybe you could learn something right. instead of thinking you know everything. Or beating them to, into submission until they they do what is that fits what you're saying, you know. No, that's exactly it. So I, that's why I love these conversations, why, why people become comedians, why people get on the radio, why people yeah. try to entertain other people. And, it, and it's, it's pretty common ground, actually, but it's also a wonderful thing about being, being a human being, that we all are the same. We need to be treated the same, not better, not worse. And some people are very uncomfortable with that because I, I generally in my life treat everyone the same, not better, not worse. Everybody gets treated the same, and that's just how it is. And some people don't like that. Oh, you should treat pe- certain people better than others. Why? Well, because they need a break. Well, I give them all the breaks in the world, but I'm not going to treat them better. I don't know them. You know, They'll, I'll treat them with respect like everybody else, but I'm not going to elevate someone until I know what the hell they're all about, right? Right. And first of all, I can't elevate anybody anyway, so what the hell am I even talking about? <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it's one of those kind of deals. Well, um, that's why I love these conversations so much. When I when I was a kid, uh, this is this is a really turning point in my life, man. When I was a kid, I, 
our neighborhood did not have many white people. They they kind of lived in this one part of the neighborhood, and most of them were with the military. That's where they were on that side of the right. island. And the part the part of the island I'm from, you don't see on the brochures. It's not you know what I mean. It's not a place where tourists go. <laughs> and um, you know, come come see red dirt and fighting chickens. It's really not <laughs> love it. You know, so love it. So uh, this one family didn't get the memo, and they moved in. Uh, in the cul-de-sac right across the street from my family, and these two poor kids were blonde, blue-eyed kids in this in this oh. area. Yeah, <laughs> and it was so awkward for them, and they just they just walked around with constant fear, you know. <laughs> and so one day I'm talking to my friends, and I don't know what I was thinking, but just as kind of a dare, I said, "Hey, I'm going to go talk to those kids." And they went, "No, you're not." And I said, "Yes, I am." And just to bug them, I wasn't trying to be groundbreaking i was like irritating them so i was walking towards the two kids they were in their yard i was walking towards them looking back at my friends and they're like no hey no 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 hey 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 you know like trying to stop me and then i got to their yard and i didn't realize what i was doing i was and then they looked so scared they were frozen you know and uh i I didn't know what to do i I sort of set up a thing to bug my friends and i was standing there within feet of them and i just said hey what's your name and what are your names and i and i got their names and i started talking to them and um and so every once in a while, like, I would go over and, and just chat with them, you know. And uh, one day their mom came out and she said, hey, uh, you know, whatever her name was. And, and, and she said, what is your name? I said, my name's Kermit. I live at that house over there. She goes, she goes well, thanks for coming to talk to the boys. Uh, she said, you want to come to dinner tonight? And I, was like, I said, okay. So I, 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 I went over and asked my mom if I can go to dinner. And uh, so she whips up something to make so I can, you know, uh, to take over. And so I take it over there. And so I'm having dinner with a family that does not look like anyone I know. I mean, I mean, they are blonde. They are, and, they, and like you said about when you came to Minnesota, their accent, I can't really understand some things they're saying. And, <laughs> right. Right? So then she brings this thing out, and she puts it on my plate. And I said, what is this? She goes, oh, it's called mac and cheese. You, have you never had mac and cheese? She goes, and I said, no, I've never had this. And I start, I take one bite of this stuff, and I was like, Wow. This is amazing. <laughs> this is the and I I, I, I uh, impolitely I ate like three servings of this stuff. Going, this is the what else do white people know about? This is incredible. <laughs> and so I come after after Love dinner. It. I thank them. I go running home. I go, mom, mom, mom. You ever heard of a thing called mac and cheese? <laughs> and my mom goes, yeah. And I said, "Why don't we eat that?" <laughs> and, and and she was like, I, "I don't know. I've seen it at the store. We just don't eat that, you know." And and it was this amazing thing. So I so I actually became closer friends with the kids, and then folded them into the group of the kids right. in the neighborhood, and they just That's became great. part of our group. And um, so I, you know, so I'm not taking credit for making these bold moves and ending racism in my neighborhood. What I am saying is that mac and cheese ended racism in my neighborhood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, see, that's how a life should be. But but like you said, like you said, I, I was I was doing something silly to annoy my friends, and all of a sudden I got to know these guys, and I and I realized that's that they, you know, man, they're they're great, and they have cool stuff in their life, and we have cool stuff in our life, and mm-hmm. and and uh, it, it was such a cool moment for me, and it, it really it really taught me a lot. Well, Bill Burr has a bit in one of his uh, specials on Netflix, and he talks about how every group should have uh, diversity in it because, and uh, what he uses as an example is the white guy can tell the black guys about the gun laws in the country, and the black guys can tell white people about being ashy. (laughs) 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 And the use of lotion. (laughs) 
Nothing wrong being ashy, man. <laughs> but it, you know, in a deeper level, what he's trying to what he's trying to say is get to know each other, and you can help each other out. That's it. Yeah, That's yeah. It. If I don't talk to those kids, I don't know what mac and cheese is. I lose that joy out of my. Right. I don't have that joy in my life. You know. Mac and cheese. Right? Did you True. did you bring over a can of spam to kind of train them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, I love the fact that Hawaiians love spam. spam. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Spam and uh, what what do you make? Spam and eggs? Uh, spam and everything. Well, really, it, yeah. yeah, you can you can <laughs> If you go to McDonald's, Burger King, spam. they all have some kind of spam stuff on the menu. Whether it's, whether wow. it's a spam Wonderful. burger or a huh. the breakfast things, they have they have the spam and egg breakfast. Yep. Yeah, at fast food places, huh. they have it. That's you know, so weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a Minnesota's in, own. I had a friend in college, and she just had, you know, because you're in dorms, so you have to have like canned good stuff mm-hmm. if you want to have food in your dorm, and that's yep. all. Like she had right. Just, Stacks like of a pyramid. Spam. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, What's a with all the spam? And she's like, I'm ho- I'm from Hawaii. Like we, this is what we eat. <laughs> what we do. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. Well, yeah, years spam ago, Acme. Uh, years ago, Acme was trying to get me like a little tour down there, you know, and and uh, so they called and they said, Hey, we have a comedian who'd like to take a tour, and they were like, Oh, you know, and. Uh, uh, we don't really do that kind of thing, and, and and I realized they don't they they get enough jokes written about spam, right? So they don't yeah. want a comedian down there. And they said, oh, I mean, they said he can go. Be, this is before the museum was built. He said they can go to the mall, and there's a little exhibit there, and, and he can check that out. And they oh. said, oh, okay, okay, good, good. Yeah, he'll do that. He's a he's a comedian, so he's going down there for the day. Or uh, not not a comedian. They said he's Hawaiian, so he's going down there for the day. And I swear they go. Oh, he's Hawaiian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we have a lot of uh, Hawaiians come here for tours. <laughs> they changed completely. <laughs> yes, this is true. I love that. Yes, man. and so uh, the person who was managing Acme at the time took me down there, and we spent the day. And they took me into the archives. They took me uh, the warehouse where all the, if, you know, when you buy like clothing or mm-hmm. all the merchandise. Yeah. They took me that warehouse. They, they have like Letterman High School Letterman jackets. That's you know, that, uh, spam stuff on it. And, uh-huh. and Seriously, when I went from comedian to Hawaiian, it changed their perception of me completely. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So well, we don't see a whole lot of Hawaiians on the mainland, so there's that. No. Yeah, but but Not they know anyway. that Hawaiians love that stuff. And That's I mean, like they, the one thing most yeah. people know about Hawaiian. <laughs> we won't have, ladies and gentlemen. We won't tonight. have the comics, but we'll have the Hawaiians. That's exactly right. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, tonight two shows, tomorrow night two shows. Kermit, always a great pleasure to see your name on the docket. Uh, know that I'm going to talk to you again. I love our conversation. Thank I'm you honored. So much. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk to you Monday. Tom Bernard Show.